So if you're looking at my shirt, you know what the title of the message is. And the title for today is Satisfied. You've already heard the scriptures for today. Thank you, Pastor I, for reading that for me. So let's just jump right into the message. The book of Philippians is considered one of the most joyous books, epistles, or letters in the Bible, partly because Paul wrote this letter to encourage the believers in Philippi to live in a constant state of joy, to change their perspective regarding the things they would face, and to look at every situation through Christ as the way to find joy amid the circumstances. It is almost as if he were saying, when trouble finds you, when trouble turns on your street, when trouble knocks on your door, somehow, some way, look for, pursue, and go after joy. We realize that this life is promised to have various issues and a myriad of other stuff, but the question is, do you count it as joy? Do you search for joy? And then you do you look at it from a glass half full state or position? You see, some may say it's easy, Minister Swan, to give joy on a good day, but very difficult to offer joy in the pain, in the rain, and when you feel like you're going insane. Uh, given this viewpoint, people may think Paul Roy wrote this joy-filled letter during a mountaintop experience when life was good and void of worry, drama, and problems. I bet they can imagine him on the beaches of Asia Minor, sipping on some lemonade, kicked back while enjoying the soft winds of an ocean breeze. But let me be the one to set the record straight. Because Paul here wrote this letter in the midst of his own trying times and while being persecuted for his faith. We like to say it this way today. In today's vernacular, Paul was going through. It is said uh, that at the time of this writing, he was a prisoner in a Roman jail chained to a Roman guard. So how could he possibly write to others about joy? It is also speculated in the NIV student Bible that at this time, Emperor Nero began arresting Christians, brutally executing Christians, feeding Christians to lions, and burning Christians as torches to illuminate his own banquets. And yet Paul, this chained, this captive, this sitting duck, continued to boast about his chains and the joy he had found in Christ. Like Paul, today we're going to talk about being content or satisfied, even when life throws you its absolute worst. The song minister Danielle just sung says, I am so satisfied, which means I'm satisfied in adversity or out, with a title or not, alone or with others, regardless to who walks in my life or who checks out, whether I'm on a mountain high or a valley low, in the sunshine as well as the rain, whether my pockets are full or just jingling with change, in a global pandemic or not, I am so satisfied in God. Why? Because I'm convinced that all things work for the good. We need to get this because every dark moment works for the good. Every uncertain moment works for the good. Every trying moment, that too works for the good. Whatever you are facing right now, even that works for the good. The Bible says that I am more than a conqueror because Jesus conquered it all. Therefore, I can have joy down in my soul. I can be satisfied. It's a matter of perspective, how you see things. It's a matter of focus, and it should be a matter of Christian intent. See, what I've learned is that people have a hard time when comfort is removed, when battles become long, when chaos runs amok, when sickness is prolonged, when life is off balance, and when things are off kilter. So today, we will discuss four ways 
a satisfied life as children of the Most High God. And the first one is to put it into practice. If we go back to verse 9, it says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. What Paul is saying here is to imitate, emulate, and replicate the good things of God. Have you ever noticed that we seem to have a dwindling population of people who live in an unbothered state where things don't get them all riled up and heated and boiling over? If we look at the increasing numbers of road rage and senseless killings and the such, we will see that unbothered, patient, even tempered people are minorities in our society. It seems as though every little thing affects the quick-tempered, and they are given to societal triggers and explosive, harm-filled behaviors. The number of people hurt by those with a short fuse that has come across our airwaves is staggering. The conclusion seems to be that people don't know how to handle life. But Christians are to be different, aren't we? We have a power on the inside that helps us navigate the pull and debased nature of this world. This unbothered group, though, tends to be filled with a love for others. They tend to be models of what Christ-like behavior entails and represents. They are people who have learned to be content or satisfied no matter what life has to offer. Uh, persons who say, uh, it is well within my nature to complain, to go off, and to act a fool, but I won't. Because nothing about that gives glory to the God I say I serve. Now, don't get me wrong. They don't say this because there's an absence of trouble and trials and tough spots. They say it in spite of. These are people who demonstrate the fruit of his spirit. Y'all remember those in the Bible, right? Like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, equally, these are people who teach us that nothing can take our joy, although we have the power to give it away. See, I believe God positions us around others or people like this to not only bless us, but to mature us and help us through certain seasons of our lives. God puts these particular people in our environment as hand-picked examples. But there are other kinds, right? So let me put it this way. Haven't we all learned something just by being around other people? Now, wouldn't it be nice if we only learned the good stuff instead of the bad? See, now children are more notorious for this, but it happens to adults too. So here's an example. For those of you who have children, you know that your precious little angel, because you know they precious, had to have picked up that bad habit from being around a classmate named Lil Johnny. <laughs> Y'all know who Lil Johnny is, right? I don't have to explain that one because Lil Johnny has been around for a long time with his little bad self. Or here's another one. Your baby, no, 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 it's your innocent baby, them picked up something from daycare because you never taught them at home this by being around this little snotty-nosed kid named Roscoe. Lord knows if they've been hanging around any of baby kids or even Shanique Quiller from over there on 5th Street. In essence, they took a habit as bad as it was, and they knew better based on your household, yet they put it into practice anyhow. 
Uh, a term that rings true right now in this moment is association brings on assimilation because you integrate with, you absorb, digest, incorporate with, and adapt to other people. It's a natural human process. That's why you have to be careful who you hang around, who your kids hang around, and you certainly got to be careful who your grandkids hang around. You also have to be careful what you take in, what you hear, and what you see. Here in our story, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow the good things of life. Paul says, putting these things into practice will help you develop in your satisfied relationship with the Lord. So here's a suggestion for you. Assimilate with the word. If you want to be satisfied, then stop living in theory and participate uh, with the word. In other words, put it into practice. Uh, association brings on assimilation, right? So assimilate with the word. What I want you all to do is to be uh, is to use the Bible as a personal guide to being satisfied. So here's a tip that I think everybody can hold on to. Oftentimes, when a book is written and the author or authors want the reader to advance or move from theory to practice or from words to action, they will prepare and offer what we call a workbook. Now, the Bible per se did not come with a workbook for life, but I guarantee you that your life will change if you work the book, put it into practice. It, it was never meant to lie dormant or collect dust. It is a book packed with action. It is a book filled with vibrant characters, a book filled with colorful stories, mystery, intrigue, and movement. So put it into practice. And the, and the way to do that, according to Paul, is by imitating emulating and replicating the good things of God. The, the second way to live a satisfied life is to share with others. Verse number 10 says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. In other words, Paul is saying, let us as a body renew our concern for others. And stop being so me and mind minded because you have no idea what someone else is going through. He is saying that even in our own stuff, we should share with others, be concerned for others, and we should make sure to reach out to others. This is important because contrary to your own belief, you are not the only one going through. When we renew our concern for others, God allows us to pour light in their darkness. The Bible says over in Luke. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, right? It also says in Galatians, you cannot mock the justice of God. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. We're talking about kingdom principles, and we're talking about putting the word into practice. And it doesn't just relate to money. How willing and generous are you with your time? with your service, with your finances, with your prayers, with your resources, and of course, with your concern. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. If you sow kindness, you will reap kindness. If you sow forgiveness, you will receive forgiveness. If you sow seeds of friendliness, you might just gain a friend or two. In other words, whatever you give out will return with increase. It's better than the boomerang principle. See, see, when you throw a boomerang, right, in theory, it goes out and it comes back, nothing gained, nothing lost, right? So, but in the kingdom of God, whatever measure you use, 
uh, that you give out comes back with increase. Press down, shaking together, and running over. It will be poured into your lap. The idea here is that it will come back to you when you are resting, when you are sitting or reclining after you've done the work, when you are better able to hold it. In other words, you will be sitting pretty or in a favorable position. How nice is it that after your toil and after your labor, that you are now in a position to receive, to harvest, and in a position of gain. Whatever seeds a man sows, that he will also reap. So my advice to you is to plant the type of seeds you want to harvest. Because whether you think so or not, you have plenty to give. So what I'm asking you to do is simply to share with others. The third way to live a satisfied life is to be content. Verses 11 and 12 say, I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Now, Anybody who knows me or who has been around me for any length of time knows that one of my favorite sayings is, it is what it is. I adopted that mantra because I refuse to fight against things I cannot change or give myself more gray hair by worry. Y'all see all this? Equally, those who know me know that I love cartoons. Now, with that said, although I love cartoons, I am not a big Flintstones fan. Nevertheless, I have seen enough of the Flintstones to remember the spinoff depicting the kids as teenagers called the Pebbles and Bam Bam Show. Now on it, Pebbles and Bam Bam had a group of friends, one of which was a different kind of character named Slap Rock, Mr. Wowsy Wowsy Woo Woo. Y'all remember him? He, like some people today, had the most pessimistic, depressed, gloomy, down on his luck state of being if I ever saw one. Not only was his luck bad, but the expectation was that bad things would happen whenever he came around. See, I believe even Paul would have had been hard-pressed to turn around Slap Rock's perspective, no matter how many letters he wrote. So case in point, Slap Rock's luck was so bad that in one episode, the gang tried to give him good luck charms to, uh, to change his state of being or disposition. The group found, uh, they went out and found a four-leaf clover thinking that would do the trick. But when they gave it to him and put it in Slap Rock's hands, wouldn't you know, even the petals fell off one at a time. See, bad things always seem to follow him wherever he will go. But here's what I love about God. I love the fact that you can take him at his word. Because Psalm 23 says, and somebody ought to get this, no matter what you're going through, is that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Not some of the days of my life, all the days of my life. We never have to walk around perpetuating a down and out, pitiful and unjoyful kind of life. We can do four things that I can think of to help remind us to be satisfied. And the first one is to count it, count every blessing. The second one is to learn to be grateful. The third one is to give it to Jesus. And the fourth one is to be content. See, for Slap Rock, he was created that way. For the rest of us, it's a choice. I understand, now don't get me wrong, because I understand that bad things happen. I understand that trouble does come. But if God allowed it, what are we to learn from it? How are we to grow in it? 
And how do we be content through it? The fourth way to live a satisfied life is to realize that God's got you. Just look back over your life. God's always had you and he's got you even now. If you are at least 50 years old on today, y'all know why I picked that number, right? Okay, so if you are at least 50 years old today, God has kept you for 18,250 days. Even if 1,825 of those days or 10% of them were just plain awful, the majority were predominantly and unequivocally good. Now, why did I break it down that way? Because sometimes we have to change our perspective. We have to change the lens and accentuate the details to see just how much God has and still is blessing us. Now, if 18,250 days doesn't work for you, if that number is not high enough for you, let's break it down into hours. That is 438,000 hours that God hasn't slept, that he's been looking over you, that he's been watching you, and he's been covering you. He is a giver, and he is a sustainer. Paul says in verses uh, 13 and 19, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And in verse 19, he says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to each of us in Christ Jesus. God's got you. See, some of us uh, uh, should be thanking God right now that he is better to us than we are to him. We whine and complain when things don't go our way. But truth be told, if it had not been for him holding back the night, even when we've depended on everything else but him. We've depended on our jobs. We've depended on our laurels, on our friends, on our status, on our health, and on our wealth. Everything but God. And yet, he still got you. Where are you, God? Isn't that the question we ask when something goes wrong? Pastor I preached a couple of weeks ago, uh, and in her message, she said something to the tune of, God does not hide from us. If you look for him, he will be found. So I'm going to paraphrase it my way. In other words, what Pastor I was trying to say is that God's not playing peekaboo with you. Now you see me, now you don't. That's not the kind of God we serve. Where are you, God? He's in the same place he's always been. He changes not. The Bible is crystal clear that he is with us in the fire. Just ask the three Hebrew boys. He is with us in the storm. Ask the disciples sailing across the Sea of Galilee and that he always comes to the rescue. The Bible tells us he'll even walk on water if need be. See, when you were slipping and sinking and drowning in your own mess that you created all by yourself, he was right there. So tell me, how did he defy the elements of your situation to have you standing here today? Now, even if you felt like in the last few months you've been in the lion's den, well, let me tell you, he's been there too. In other words, knowing that God's got you, if you just take the time to remember when, if you just look back over your life, if you just go back down memory lane, that journey alone should help you live a life that is fully satisfied. I invite you to do the math because God has been looking after you for a very, very long time. He's been loving you, he's been keeping you, he's been covering you and calling you as a way of saying, I've got you. 
after all this time, some of us are still not trusting. Some of us are still not believing. You ought to be glad that God and his services were not for hire because some of you will owe him a lot of back pay. 438,000 hours worth. Go ahead and write the check. God has given us his all and his very best. He deserves the same in return. So let me go ahead and wrap this message up. There are a lot of reasons why we should stay satisfied in Christ. Not just be satisfied, but stay satisfied. And here's another. We were never promised that life would be pain-free, carefree, and free of any concerns. But as children of God, there are certain promises, privileges, and inalienable rights. I had to slow that down. That belong to each one of us. The Bible tells us that the Lord God Almighty covers us with his wings. Therefore, we know God is provider, protector, and that he's a keeper of those who trust in him. I say all of this to say that, that, that when the things of this world, and this is just personal to me, that when the things of this world try to get me into a position or a posture of dis-ease and dissatisfaction, when the world tries to get me in a place of unrest and sadness, I retreat into that place where God and I meet where I am renewed and where I'm refreshed in his presence, that place of submission and surrender where I oftentimes rediscover what I am here for and what he has called me to do. It's in a place like that where I'm reminded and often reintroduced to my position as a child of God. It's a place that helps me to remember that my daddy's got what I can't handle today. The more I study people like Paul, I am able to see a satisfied life in full swing and operation because you see Paul is a great biblical model of how to be satisfied in the midst of trouble, in the midst of cares and in the midst of heavy concerns. See, I like the fact that Paul in all the things he faced. And let me just say this as a side note, you really ought to read about his life and the stuff that he went through, the stuff that he endured because he was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was thrown in jail. He faced death, was put in stocks, was lied on, misunderstood, misrepresented, and abandoned. And that's just to name a few. But in spite of all that, let me tell you what he didn't do. He didn't check out. He didn't become distant, nor was he discouraged. He didn't stop communicating. He didn't isolate himself, nor did he run away. He didn't abandon his post, nor his responsibility. The Bible calls him a suffering apostle, yet he modeled joy, hope, and how to worship in some of the worst conditions of life. Now, we all have something that we're going through. So let me encourage you to look amongst the people God has connected you with to find those who can influence you in biblical living. Now, I'm not asking you to find a perfect person because you won't find one, but I am asking you to connect with others to be present where God has placed you, and to walk together in Christian love. What I'm asking you to do is to put it into practice, share with others, be content, and realize and get it down in your soul that no matter what you are going through, God's got you. All in all, what I'm asking you to do and to be is satisfied. Amen?